Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. We just form a fucking wall. O'Neal deep on the post, lots of contact there. Oh, what a block by Wallace! What wow. a jump ball! This team's down four, 12 8, 7 38 to play the first half. First from Rodney, stuck into the rim! Reggie inside for Andre, and a dynamite dunk! Pistons fans, welcome to another edition here of the Palace of Pistons podcast. Brendan Johnson, Aaron Johnson, Ryan Pay, all here for this week's edition. And, well, it's the first episode of the 2019 offseason as Detroit falls four games to none to the Milwaukee Bucks, losing that final game at home just a few nights ago and um, you know you could look at this series a variety of different ways there's a lot of things you can take from it I think there's good there's bad and and it leads to a lot of a lot of topics to discuss conversation to be had um, but before we kind of carry forward with some of the the aftermath thoughts and you know maybe roster moves going forward or who's safe, who may be on the fence, etc. I think we need to take a minute just to reflect upon this series, the goods and the bads, and and our takeaways from it. Aaron, I'll start with you. You know, Detroit loses all four games, and the final scores were not close. They all look like blowouts. But three of the four games... Detroit competed in for a decent period of time. And the final score is not indicative of truly how each of those games went. So what were your just overall thoughts, your takeaways, goods and bads from this Pistons playoff series? First off, Ryan, hello. Good to be with you. Brendan, uh, thanks for coming. I know you were... I wasn't sure if you were going to show up with uh, your Game of Thrones current binging session going on, but mm-hmm. thanks for showing up to the podcast today. Just and, uh, to clarify, um, at the podcast desk today, Ryan and I were sitting here waiting for you. Just to clarify. I was attending business matters. I wasn't oh, watching okay. uh, a show that... I I was at the desk waiting on you. That's fine. All right, so to address matters, again, Ryan, thanks for being here. I appreciate you as always. Um, but hey, thanks for making the podcast bear, uh, you know bearable, and I hope you can make the off season bearable for us as well, Ryan. You know, I'm just I'm just here for the people, you guys. You know that I'm here. I'm just here to help. I'm just here to help. Well, I, I think you're right when you say Detroit competed in a large chunk of three of those four games, um, but they were never going to win this series. They were never going to win a pair of games, and they were unlikely to win one game. Milwaukee was just a flat out better team with the Pistons having Blake Griffin or without the Pistons having Blake Griffin. You know, there's a reason that they have the best record in the NBA. They have the likely MVP. They have the likely coach of the year. And Detroit, you know, backing into the eighth seed, dealing with injuries and, you know, some poor play towards the end. Um, It's not like they were riding a hot streak to get into the playoffs, and it's not like they had the momentum going into the series. You know, they got beat by the Bucs every time they played in the regular season as well. So uh, there was really no expectation on, on... I don't think any of us on our ends um, that the Pistons were going to really uh, put some pressure on the Bucks in this series. But I like that they competed in three of the four games. Um, I liked what we saw from Luke Kennard. Obviously, he was so fantastic in the playoffs, uh, except for really that that game four or excuse me, game three, where he just kind of disappeared. 
um, with Blake back in the starting lineup, and when they started Luke, it just didn't work. Um, but Luke was fantastic when you had Blake come back and you know just show the leadership, the work ethic, uh, the the superstardom level that he plays at, the, the superstardom level that he carries himself at is fantastic to see. Um, but there's obviously some bad things. You know, I think Andre Drummond could have had a much better playoff series. I don't think he was bad, but he had a very poor game three, um, and he didn't necessarily have a good game in the series. I think he was very average in the other three games, so that does not bode well for his stock around the Pistons fans. I know the fans have been very critical of Drummond, or some fans have been very critical of Drummond. You know, I think you're asking, are you putting him in a tough position when he had to defend Giannis and he was playing without Blake? Um, you know, there were, he's he's a very good player, but he's just not at that level, um, and that's fine. But you you know you can't trash him, you can't get mad at him for not being able to do that, I, and I don't think that's fair. Uh, but Andre didn't play great in the series. I, I think he would have liked him to play a little bit better. Uh, obviously, there were some other issues to shooting. You know, Langston Galloway, Wayne Ellington, none of those guys that are general floor spacers for Detroit able to do much. They couldn't find a way to stop Milwaukee's three point shooting. One other positive, Reggie Jackson played well. Reggie Jackson is such an interesting case because I find myself floating back and forth between each game on whether or not he can be that point guard for the Pistons next season. Um, but I think his performance in the playoffs puts his indic- it indicates that he can. Um, but we'll have to see. You know, he, he talked a big game following the, the the postseason loss. He said, "I'm going to have now my first full off season." that I'm healthy and I can just go to work. And we saw what that did for Blake Griffin uh, last year. So those are some positives. There were some negatives. Ultimately, I still think this team is pretty far away, but I think we saw a glimpse of what's going to work with them and what's not going to work. No, Aaron, I think you hit it all pretty much right on the head. I mean, you summed it up perfectly. It was was a semi-competitive series, uh, which the Pistons in the end really had no chance of winning or really no chance of winning a game. Um, Blake Griffin showed out, uh, gave everything he had. It was great to see. He's the leader. He won the city of Detroit. Refs, you suck. All the good stuff. Got the standing ovation. Loved to see it. Um, just balled out, played hard. You see the growth of Luke Kennard. It's exciting. The lineup of Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, and Blake Griffin still not working in terms of Luke Kennard going ghost and just standing in the corner, and that's concerning. You don't like to see that, especially if those three are with the team going forward. Um, Ish Smith struggled this series, pounded the heck out of the ball, and then shot late in the shot clock way too much. Mid-range contested fadeaway twos, just not not conducive to winning, and we saw a lot of that with Ish. I thought he struggled a bit. Uh, Dre, like you said, not his best series, not the type of series you wanted to see, but he had a tall task going without Blake, having Guardianis, having to go against Brooke Lopez being the only rebounder for Detroit. It, like So, yes, it wasn't the series you wanted to see from uh, Andre, but at the same time, it was a very tall task for anyone to take on. Uh, Reggie, Reggie's the interesting case. You said that. Uh, going back and forth on the same way. Uh, I can't determine whether he is or is not the point guard for this team going forward, or the point guard I want for this team going forward. Because he did have a good series, but at the same time, you're just not sure. And I get that, and I can see that. Um... But I mean, in the end, it's just like there's just a long way to go with this team. A lot of moves need to be made still. A lot of pieces need to change, be upgraded, need to get that wing. I mean, still a long way to go. But there were some positive signs. So overall, not terrible. 
you know, I think the biggest positive was the play of Luke Kennard in games really one, two, and four. You know, obviously game three was mentioned, struggled. And that is a big concern going forward. Because this isn't the first time that, oh, well, those three were in the lineup and just went cold. It has not worked all year for Detroit. That grouping has not worked at all. That is scary. Because Luke needs to be in the mix for potentially starting at the two next year. And if he cannot coexist with Reggie and Blake on the floor at the same time, that is a big problem for Detroit. That's just two ball-dominant guys in Reggie Jackson and... uh and uh, Blake Griffin, especially when Reggie Jackson is a shoot first, shoot second, pass third type of guy. And Blake, I mean, Blake has to score for the team to be successful. So it just, it, it leaves an odd man out in the trio, and that trio, mm-hmm. uh, the odd man out in that trio right now is Luke Kennard. And it, yeah, it is a problem. And Blake, Blake even addressed it, at, uh, saying, you know, he needs to learn how to get um, Luke more involved at that point. And it's not, not just him, but everyone. And because they know Luke is a dynamic scorer and playmaker for them, they have to find a way to get him more involved when those three are out there together, not just standing in the corner going ghost. Um, so, yeah, it's very much an issue. But it's something I expect them to work on and figure out this offseason that these three are all going to be back next year. Yeah, I will say, I think I'm a little less worried about it than the majority are. I, I think that there's definitely some work that needs to be done with the grouping because Luke definitely just appears to disappear. But I think a lot of that is just on Luke's lack of aggressiveness. You know, he's such a good scorer when he just puts his foot down, puts his head down, and and takes control. And when he does that, we see the explosions that he had in Game 1 and Game 2 against Milwaukee when he scored 21 and 19 apiece on very efficient shooting. We just see that he can do that. And... He just defers to Blake and Reggie when they're all in together. And that's something that's on Luke's confidence. But there also does need to be more sets that are directed for Luke and Blake to work together so that it's a pick-your-poison kind of uh, option that the defense are presented with, with Luke shooting and Luke's playmaking and then Blake's finishing and Blake's scoring abilities. They have to make that what Blake Griffin has been able to do with Wayne Ellington since Ellington got to Detroit and when Bullock was with the Pistons because Blake Griffin and Reggie Bullock had great two-man chemistry. Mm-hmm. So Griffin and Kennard and, and and Jackson even as well should all be in the gym together working extensively this offseason together. That would certainly improve, the, improve their chemistry. But honestly, if you're going to put those three together, you should probably get Andre Drummond involved too because he's not just going to take a backseat on the offensive side. Well, my thought on this, Aaron, and the way you just went with that is I agree that Luke Kennard has to be more aggressive when it comes to being, you know, on the offensive end with, you know, the other two guys, Jackson and Griffin, on the floor. At the same time, Jackson is a shoot first, shoot second, pass third point guard. That's what he is. And as Luke's aggressiveness needs to step up, you know, law of averages says that somebody else's aggressiveness is going to have to decline a little bit. And I think that needs to be Reggie's. Because you don't want to take the ball away from Blake Griffin. You need to get the ball more to Luke Kennard. Reggie becomes the guy that's got to become a little bit more, even if it's shoot first, pass second. I I think I disagree with that because I think the thing with Blake Griffin was we saw his workload this year and we saw how eventually that kind of tore him down. So not necessarily do you want to take the ball away from Blake Griffin. You would never want to do that to your best player. 
but I think it would help if they could a little bit. It could help keep his legs a little bit fresher if he doesn't have to isolate as many times. Well, as I'm he has not. To yeah, I, I'm. I'm never. I shouldn't say never, but not often a fan of that Blake Griffin isolation because teams really did kind of figure it out. You double down in the post and take away that next pass, and all of a sudden he's got nowhere to go. That's why it has to be more two-man game with Kennard, with Correct. Ellington. Those Correct. guys. If Ellington's going to be back next year, that's a whole separate thing, especially after the way he just. Like Kennard in, in that, you know, game, uh, I think Kennard disappeared in game three. Ellington disappeared, was not not available. It was like he wasn't even on the court. But you have to have more than just one guy running a play. You have to have different options. You have to have different guys involved with the playmaking, the ball handling of the play. And that's where Kennard has to be able to facilitate. He has to be able to read double teams. He has to be able to come off of screens. He has to be able to do it all. So I think a lot of it is on Kennard's growth. And I, I I don't want to take away what Kennard showed us in the playoffs because he was great. I wrote about how good he was. But there's still more to his game. Mm-hmm. And it, can, it can't it can be on – you can't ask Reggie Jackson and the way that he played when he played very well in the playoffs to not play that way because I disagree. he I think played you, very good basketball. I still think you can, though. I think you can, I think I think you think can, you can ask, ask him to that. shoot the ball a little bit less. But at the same time, when he's connecting on the looks that he's connecting on and he's getting to the rim and he's knocking down shots, why are you going to tell him not to shoot? I think it's more so on the offense getting good looks because there were so many times where they couldn't manufacture a good look than it is saying one guy has to shoot less than you know than the other for the other the, guy to shoot The more. reason you tell him that is because when you're so ball dominant and, and you control so much of the possession, it takes away from other guys getting into a rhythm. Blake's an established vet. He's a seasoned dude. He doesn't need... If, if Reggie's ball dominant, Blake will get in a rhythm whenever Blake gets the ball. But for some young guys on the floor like Luke, or, or depending you know, who else is a wing, maybe if Bruce Braun can come back and look at the rim next year. I mean, just even like look at it, you know? Uh, it doesn't have cooties. You can look at the rim, Bruce. Um, but, but Reggie being so ball dominant really takes away any opportunity for them to get into some sync and some groove and, and multiple threats on the floor. So, yes, I do believe you can say, hey, Reggie, you need to scale it back a little bit. Yes, you had a nice series, but you need to scale it back a little bit because though Reggie did have a nice series, and maybe Luke Kennard's aggressiveness does need to step up, I don't think Luke just becoming more aggressive changes the issue when Reggie dominates the ball. Middleman Ryan here. I think there's a middle ground to the points you both made. I agree. Luke does need to be more aggressive, more assertive, find his rhythm, find his his stroke, whatever he needs to do. He needs to go find it. That's what a good player does, and I agree with you that there, Aaron. But I also do agree with Brendan that, hey, yes, when Reggie's knocking it down, Reggie should be going off. I agree with that. But at the same time, you've got you are extremely ball dominant. You need to let younger guys find their groove until they're confident they know how to find the groove without touching the ball. Like Blake's one of those guys, he can just get in the game because he's an established vet, like Brendan said. He can find that rhythm without a lot of touches early on and get himself going. Luke's going to need that that push still, that, hey, get him involved, get him going, get that flow going. So I agree with Brendan on that, uh, on that front. So I think there's a middle ground that can be found there where maybe Reggie does scale it back a touch, but Luke does find that aggressiveness, uh, takes that upon himself. Because, Aaron, you're right. His development, it's not even close to done yet. It's We're just scratching the surface with all the things he needs to take advantage of for his game to take the next step, and I do believe he will. So I think next year we're going to come back with an even stronger and more aggressive Luke Kennard because of the steps he takes in this offseason.
so you know we kind of talked about the those three in the lineup and we've mentioned some names like a Wayne Ellington and an Ish Smith um, and there's others to be discussed as well but I think we need to kind of just take a look at the roster and I'd like to get your guys thoughts on our guys like Ish Smith Wayne Ellington Glenn Robinson Zaza Pachulia are they back next year do they move on because there's there's some tough decisions to be made within that group Aaron I think there's a couple guys that are for sure out and I think there's more so a lot of fringe guys I think Ish Smith's a fringe guy because he's when he in which the regular, before the playoffs he was not a fringe guy he exactly. was like you gotta bring him back yeah he was a guy in the regular season that the Pistons were a much better team when he was able to come off the bench and, and, and lead the second unit. But in the playoffs, that Bucks defense kind of exposed him because of his inability to respectably shoot mm-hmm. the basketball from, from the three-point line. So the way he played in the playoffs when he shot 26% from the field and, and, and was really not a very good basketball player in the playoffs, uh, it puts him on the fringe because you're paying, you, you paid him $6 million a year you could probably get a cheaper backup point guard than that. You know, you could probably draft a backup point guard. You could probably sign a cheaper backup point guard in free agency. Another guy that's on the fringe because of his playoff. What I had him on the I had him on the fringe in the regular season. I don't know about you guys, but Wayne Ellington was bad in the playoffs. I thought he was very inconsistent during the regular season. I saw too many games where he could go off for 20, 25 points, and then there were games when he went. You know, one of nine from the field and scored like five points. I'm kind of on the side. I, I, I think Detroit would be better off upgrading their wing and spending their money on a guy that's better than Ellington. Um, so I have him on the fringe. And then Glenn Robinson III is my other fringe guy. I think for the money he's making, he's only making four, four and a half million dollars. He's the biggest wing on the Pistons roster, even played some four. I think he should be back with the team because of his cost effective contract. I think he showed some things that he can do well. And I think although he didn't play too well in the playoffs, you know, when he got in during the regular season, uh, he, he did play pretty well. And in the playoffs, he was asked to defend Giannis. And, you know, you, you can't not look at the way he shot the ball in the playoffs. You know, in, in game one or game two, he yeah, he shot like 0-6 from the three-point line in one of the games. Obviously, that's unex- unacceptable. But I think when you have him for the money that you're paying him, uh, you should keep him on your roster. I think there's just more benefits to it than negatives. And then my guys that are off the roster are both Zaza Pachulia and Jose Calderon, two veterans that signed one-year contracts to begin this season. Both of them could honestly retire. I think Zaza will continue to play, but I think Jose might call it quits. Um, just they don't they don't bring enough to this team. I think Zaza. I mean, you couldn't play Zaza in the playoffs, so. Uh, that tells you all you need to know. And Jose Calderon in the regular season was a disaster. So those are my guys that are on the fringe or um, are, are off the roster. I'll say this. Blake is my only lock. Everything else is fluid. And that doesn't mean I think everything else is a fringe player. And that doesn't mean Andre, or Re- Andre Reggie, and Luke are much, 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 much closer to being locks than they are off the roster. But I think everything's fluid pretty much for this roster. Uh, this offseason. I think guarantee guns are Zaza and Jose, like you said. And I don't think Wayne Ellington's coming back. I, I'm i willing to put him on my guarantee he's gone list. Um, ish, ish, ish. 
he's much more closer to being gone than he is really on the fringe for me too. I'm not quite there putting him on the ship him out. He's gone. I'm guaranteeing it, but I'm pretty sure he's he might have played his last days in Detroit as well. But overall, Blake's the only lock. Mm-hmm. I think everything else is fluid, and it doesn't. I don't think honestly. I don't think Drummond and Jackson and Kennard are going anywhere. I think they'll be back next year. I'm like 90% sure of that. But just with, I think everything's fluid and everything will be open outside of Blake this offseason. If, if a move can be made. Which, of course, will be very hard due to cap restrictions and being cap-strapped. I have a couple, a couple disparities between these thoughts. The first one is, I think Luke, or excuse me, I think Ish Smith is closer to being back now than he was at the end of the regular season. Because the way he was playing in the regular season... Ish could have maybe commanded some, you know, money to go be a low-end starting point guard on a bad team on a short-term deal. He could have, you know, maybe gotten that two-year, $14 million more than Detroit would want to pay him. And uh, went made some money and had a chance to start somewhere, knowing that he'll forever be the backup in Detroit. Um I think his playoff series hurt his value enough that Detroit knows what he can do. He was such a spark for them in the regular season. He had a bad playoff series. But a lot of people had a bad playoff series for Detroit. Being frank, I think Ish Smith is actually closer to being back on the roster because his value probably diminished a decent amount after that playoff performance. The other one that I would say is not for sure out but on the fringe is Zaza Pachulia. Zaza will give zero physical contribution on the floor. Zero next year. And I'm not saying he wouldn't play, but he will not be of true value, right? But what Zaza does for a young team that Blake needs another voice like this is he brings that true leadership. And when when Glenn was on the podcast, he talked about splitting it up into five games, five games, five games. Those kind of things were brought upon by Zaza. The organization of the locker room, the management of the back end of the bench and keeping them fresh and ready to go. There are some things outside of on the court that Zaza provides to the team that I think Dwayne Casey could take a value in and consider bringing him back for another year. You don't think a year of learning under his tutelage for guys like Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson, learning that type of leadership, seeing that type of leadership, they can't step up and take their turn to be that type of leader? I, you don't think that's possible? I'm not saying I don't. And I'm not opposed to it because I like mm-hmm. the leadership Zaza brings. I'm absolutely with you. Sure. And if he wants to come back on the vet minimum to be, you know, the 13th man who never really dresses, but he's... That's um, what I'm, Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. But, he, you know, he's a leader. He's like a player coach almost. I get that. But if they want to spend their money elsewhere, no, like every penny they have, because like we said, they're very close to the cap, they're cap strapped. Mm-hmm. You don't think a guy like Reggie Jackson or Andre Drummond can't take that next step in leadership? I'm not saying they can't. I'm just not sure they will. And I think having a guy like Zaza for, for one more year, it doesn't hurt if you get him on the vet men. To be that guy that really doesn't that doesn't dress, but is just there and and will dress if needed on occasion. Um, to be honest, I I think it would be a good thing for the locker room. I think it would be a good thing for the Pistons because you know at times you know you've still seen whether it's a lack of leadership or 
Um, just you, you need that presence, and it's not fully there in Reggie and Andre yet, from at least what you can see outside of the locker room. And um, and, and you know something to talk about too. Reggie or Andre could be on the move this offseason. Not saying they will, but one of them could be on the move. That's what I, that's what, that was my whole point. Everything's fluid this offseason outside of Blake. And if one of them are on the move, then you might like a guy like Zaza to keep that glue in the locker room. The problem with keeping Zaza is, as a player-coach kind of guy that never supposed to play, that was the Pistons' reason for signing Jose Calderon. You know, people told me that the Pistons signed Calderon, Calderon to be a guy that is a player but doesn't really play, but, you know, brings that player leadership, brings that player mentorship to the table. But he got forced to play, and it didn't go well when he played. So can the Pistons continue to afford a contract to a guy and give up a roster spot to a guy that, although he provides great veteran leadership and mentorship, is going to hurt them if when he's forced to be on the court? Because... Going into the season, it was, oh, Jose's never going to play. But when an injury happens, an injury happens. Listen, someone has to play. My answer to that is Detroit could have avoided playing Jose by playing Kyrie Thomas, and they didn't do it. But you're, you're asking a guy, I mean, Ish Smith got hurt around December, January, I believe. You're asking a guy that's not, you know not, didn't play point guard, wasn't in the rotation in the NBA in general, but the point guard wasn't even his position, to come in and play point guard. That puts him in a really tough spot, and I get you could say, well, Anything could be better than Jose. And while that's true, that's tough to ask a rookie to do. And that's a, a tough position you're putting sure. in. And then what does it say about your team that you're going to that you're gonna put in a rookie that doesn't even play that spot over a guy you're that committed. does play that position, has played that position, and has had the career that Jose Calderon has had? That you're committed think, to the future of your organization. I think the thing, okay, then you don't sign a player that's never going to touch the floor or that can't touch the floor and be served. I disagree because if you, you don't got, waste a contract on it's that. It's not a wasted contract if the leadership helps the you young can, guys develop. But you can sign a player that can be a veteran and but can also play. Look at what Jared Dudley has done for the Brooklyn Nets. Look at the leadership that we have seen from him with that Nets team, and he's still a serviceable player. There are players around the league that are great leaders, that are great veterans, that play and are, are serviceable level players. You cannot waste a contract on a guy that is not serviceable only because he, you know, is a good leader. He, he brings veteran leadership. So bring him on in a different staff role. Do not waste a contract. I don't know. There's something about, though, that player in the locker room, even if he is that player coach, that that guys will gravitate to. I mean, yes, you can gravitate to a coach, but, you know, bring him on as a special assistant coach, whatever. Yeah, guys will probably still gravitate to him because they know him and they were in the locker room with him. But I think there's another thing knowing, hey, this guy's in a practice jersey. This guy's going to war with us, you know, and he's not playing minutes, but he's still being there for us. I think there's a different... I mean, you can still sign him to the staff and have him be a practice player. There's no rule against that. He can go up against the guys in practice if he wants to. So, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't mind bringing him back. I really don't. But at the same time... Our, like Aaron said, are we willing to waste a waste a roster and, spot? And this is why. And this is why I said he's fringe, because if you go out and you sign somebody at a different position or that position that can bring that veteran leadership and has proven he can do that in his career to help the the um, the locker room, fine, fine. It then doesn't have to be Zaza. 
But I think Zaza's on the fringe because if you don't have that guy at whether it's the center position or somewhere else, then there's value to having that kind of guy on the roster. I think there is. And, you know, we've seen, and not that you want to have Thon necessarily play the uh, the five, you know, but I'm assuming Thon's going to be more in the mix as that backup four for Blake. And if you have Andre and name that backup center and then Thon who can slide to the five, you have Blake, you sign one more backup four. Maybe it's John Luer has to get into the mix a little bit more next year. Um I think you can find ways to not have to play Zaza and and still reap benefit. So, and Aaron's just going to sit here and just stare. I just disagree. I, I, I just disagree. And I, I, we're not going to get anywhere on it, so might as well just move on. So what do you want to talk about next, Aaron? Well, I, I don't want you, you know, you're just going to, I want you to be happy. What do you want to talk about next? Let's Let's talk about the NBA playoffs that are still going on. You know, let's let's talk about the teams that remain, the teams that have survived the first round. Dalla Dame. Dame Dalla. Um, say it right. I mean, Jesus, that was atrocious. I'm sorry. I know we just lost like, every single listener to the show. I'm going to have to be making a public announcement following the show, so I'm sorry about that uh, to the listeners. But, uh, wow, that, I just can't get over that. Um, but the NBA players are still going. And the second round in both conferences is about to be amazing. And I look at the Eastern Conference matchups with Boston and Milwaukee and then Toronto and Philadelphia, and I cannot wait. They are going to be absolutely amazing. In the West, you still got the first round finishing up between San Antonio and Denver, uh, but then you have Houston and Golden State in a rematch of the Western Conference semifinals from last year. It is going to be an amazing second round. I just want to know where we all stand, where we're making our picks uh, in these series. No, I agree. Uh, the first round weeded out pretty much every all the weak links. I mean, LA. Hey, the Clippers are still giving the Warriors. Uh, That's true. A battle. They've given them a great still giving series. Them a battle. I mean, come on, we know what's going to. No, happen. I tend to agree. I think Golden State's going to wipe the floor with them tonight. I think they're going to flip that switch for, for a game anyway, and put them to bed. Um, but no. I think the first round weeded out all the weak teams, all the lower-level teams, uh, especially in the East. Uh, these matchups, Boston-Milwaukee, Philly-Toronto, I mean, they're going to be bloodbaths. I mean, I really think they're going to be all-out, balls-to-the-wall, you know, blood, sweat, tears-type matchups. And it's exciting. I mean, it's a really good time. Um, and the West, I mean, the West is going to be the West. It is what it is. It's the Wild West out there. Not really, though, because Golden State's going to make it to the finals. Absolutely, are. you know, it's I, I've just been really impressed with what the Clippers have been able to do. You know, they're down three to two in the series, but then there's that game on Easter that if the Clippers connect on a couple more possessions, you just never know. I mean, the Clippers will not win the series, no doubt about it. But uh, I have been really impressed. You talk about the weak links. I, you know, San Antonio may be a weak link still in the playoffs. And uh, I still would love to see them beat Denver in Game 7. I think that is like the worst possible matchup that the Nuggets could have gotten. Young, inexperienced in the playoffs. You know, kind of, they got to the two seed maybe unexpectedly going into the year. People thought maybe they'd be good, but are they a two seed? They get that high and that savvy, just 
presence of Greg Popovich. He's got DeMar DeRozan playing at a high level. Bryn Forbes playing at a high level. Um, I don't know, dude. I, I think the Spurs can beat the Nuggets in that Game 7. I don't think calling the Spurs a weak link is... Uh, it's fair. It's fair. I really don't. I don't I don't think you can ever call Greg Popovich coach team a weak link. I mean, you still have DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, but you have to look at Derek White arguably being, being just as important yeah. as those two guys. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. season he's had and the way he's come on as of late. Uh, and then you have other guys that have that experience with Marco Bellinelli. Um, you know, Brent Forbes is, is is playing a role on that team. There, there are just so many guys that have that that. I don't know what it is with the Spurs, but when you're there, I mean, Rudy Gay. I mean, the guy that was notoriously thought of to just be a below uh, a below level player before he got to the Spurs, a fake all star, and now he's like my favorite target for the Pistons in the off season. You know, and he's there, played so well for the Spurs. There's just something about that program that Greg Craig Popovich has in place. There's just something about it where it's not going to fail, no matter. We lose Tim Duncan and Manu and Tim Tim Parker, uh, Tony Parker, and um, Kawhi Leonard. It doesn't matter what we lose. David, like it doesn't matter who we have. We have this program in place, a set way of we're going to do things. Yes, we'll adjust certain things on the fly, of course, but there's a way. There's a Spurs way. It's a culture, and, man. And it's so, a culture. So who's winning Game fit. Seven? Denver or San Antonio? San Antonio. Yeah, I think San Antonio is going to pull it out. Okay, I think Denver's going to. I think Denver's going to get it done. I, I kind of want Denver to get but, it done, and I don't. I mean, I think it's going to be a real, real, real good game. But I don't know. There's part of me that just can't bet against Pop right now. Either way, though, Dame Dalla, Brendan, Dame Dalla. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make an ass Blazers. of you every feet, mistake from forty feet. I'm gonna make an ass the of you every time you make a mistake. Conference going finals. I think we're all in agreement on that. And we have Golden State advancing past Houston, right? Yeah. This is where it gets more fun. The East. The East is going to be amazing. I'm so excited for Milwaukee-Boston. A lot of people picking Milwaukee in four, five, or six, whatever. But I have not seen anyone or or very few pick Boston to win. I think Boston's going to win that series. I think that Kyrie Irving, is he elevates himself in the playoffs. I think you have Boston playing the best basketball that they have all season. They swept the Pacers convincingly. Al oh, they swept is, a depleted Pacers. I know. Come on. I know. Don't say here. They swept them. But Al Horford it actually can try to defend Giannis. Uh, Gordon Hayward is playing his best basketball this season. I just think there's there's enough wing talent on that team to stop Milwaukee's wing talent. And we saw Milwaukee's wing scores play so well against Detroit because Detroit didn't have any size to stop them. Well, Boston has Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Marcus Morris. Those are four guys right there alone that can that can go in and can defend on the wing for Boston. I just think I think it's going to be a great series. It, could pro- it probably is going to go seven games, and I think I'm taking Boston in it. Boston Milwaukee is going to be a bloodbath, like bloodbath. I think I think that's just going to be hard fought. You know, drag it out type of series. I want to say it's going to go seven, um, but I think it's going to be Bucks and six. Yeah. I think it's going to be six games of blood and tears, and who's a man and who's not, and everyone's going to prove they're a man, just the Bucks a little bit more. Yeah, I think Aaron being so convinced that the Bucks will lose is kind of a. It's a. 
it's a result of his anger after the no, playoff I, I series picked, that occurred here in Detroit. I don't want to hear it. I'm talking. Boston I, yeah. at the beginning yeah, of the okay. season. Okay, so anyways. The east. So anyways, did you pick the Bucks to be the one seed in the East? No, I did not. Okay, so you didn't know they'd be running into these Bucks. Okay. Um, Dollar Dame. Listen, I think that Giannis absolutely just train wrecks this series. It just or it, 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 He's going to go off. Giannis, as Aaron talked about at the beginning of the year, being the the best player in the East, right? Um, I don't know, dude. I, uh, I, I think six games, I could see it going five games. I don't see Milwaukee having a problem with Boston. I really don't. I think Boston rolled through Indiana because Indiana didn't have their best player. And Indiana was struggling through the final few weeks of the regular season anyways. Milwaukee's that good. I am really convinced that that they will have no problem getting through Boston. Uh, You know, if things get tough, Boston gets down a game or two in this series, it's over. I don't think Kyrie's coming back. He's going to be mentally checked out. And, yes, they have the size on the wing, but none of them are Giannis Antetokounmpo. Sorry. And, and I think that that's going to prevail. Boston will take one or two games at home, but I don't think it's going to be enough to win win the series. I can't wait for it. I can't wait for it. And, and then there's one last series in the East between Philadelphia and Toronto. I am picking Toronto. I think it's going to go seven. Yeah, this one. No, this go. this is seven. This is seven all the way. This has yes. seven literally stamped on it from the beginning. I've got Toronto. And Toronto seven. and seven. I agree. This is stamped for seven. This is stamped for another bloodbath. Um, this is going to be a, now. We talked about you know bloodbath for that uh, Boston Milwaukee. This is going to be a war. I think this is going to really, just really be physical basketball. I don't know this. This is a series that excites yes, me. Exactly. This mm-hmm. this is going to be Jared Dudley and the Nets. Uh, coming at the 76ers on steroids, dude. This is going to be a lot of chirping. Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, those guys can't keep their mouth shut on the court, bro. This is going to be a lot of chirping, a lot of physicality, a lot of pushing and shoving, a lot of good basketball at the same time. This is the series I'm excited about. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this one. I think there's a lot of talent on both sides. I'm interested to see if Marcus Saul... Uh, is able to defend Joel Embiid and, and stop him the, or limit him the way that he was able to limit Nikola Vucevic in the first round. So I'm definitely interested in that. How does Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry play in this series? And then Kawhi Leonard, is he the best player on the court or, or is Joel Embiid the best player on the court? That's also going to play a huge factor as well. I think, uh, you know, I think that's kind of a toss-up. I think I would lean Leonard. Um, but You know how we don't get much emotion out of Kawhi Leonard? I think this series brings emotion off Kawhi Leonard. I'm excited for I, it. I can't especially wait. being in Philly when it's going to be rowdy. Rowdy. Especially, I don't think any game's being more than like a five or six point game in this series. I think everything's tight. I don't think anyone blows anyone out mm-hmm. at any point. I don't really think there's any double digit wins. I agree. With unless that. there's free throws at the end. But like, yeah. I think this is these are just close games the whole way. And especially if there's a split in Toronto to begin going into Philly, it is going to be rowdy as hell. And I think we're going to see some emotion out of Kawhi Leonard in this series from it. 
continue your point, Aaron. I'm sorry, you just brought up Kawhi and that got me going. Yeah, I no, think he's gonna I be mean, emotional. I, no, that, not super you did, emotional. You did, but. you did, you did what you needed to do, and I'm fine with it. Like that's what needed to be said. I'm just really excited for this series. I think it's gonna be a great battle, and I think I just I think the East second round. Like I know some people have been talking about it, but. I just think it's going to be an absolutely amazing next week or two of postseason basketball. Like I'm just so excited for it. Like I can't wait. So, final topic of the show. We take a look now. We're gonna have a fun off season of talking about the rest of these NBA playoffs. We're gonna have a fun off season, then getting into the draft, summer league, and then free agency. Your April look at free agency. If there's one guy that you can make a case for the Pistons should sign, he'd fit. One free agent, who would it be? Well, like I, I teased it at the a few minutes ago in a show, but it's got to be Rudy Gay. I look at what he brings and what he's done for San Antonio. Combo forward, three four at, at six eight. He's shot in the ball very well this season. Forty uh, percent from the three point line, fifty percent from the field. Not a guy that's going to take five six three is a game only takes about three a game but that threat to be a scorer from the outside while also being able to finish on the inside is going to would be huge for this business team they need a wing that can score the ball alongside Blake Griffin or if Gay comes off the bench and is like that six man as if Luke Kennard is to move into the starting lineup if he's your new guy that's the lead scorer on the second unit it's just a hand in glove fit either way I love what he brings to the table I love the way that he's transformed his career, transformed his style of play after becoming a guy that many thought of to be a castaway from how basketball should be played. The way he's transformed has made him a very serviceable player. He has the size that Detroit needs. He has the scoring ability that Detroit needs. He has the shooting ability that Detroit needs. He is probably a a guy that might be just outside Detroit's price zone. Maybe they'll be willing to go into tax to get him. And if that's the case, they should because he provides so much. Um, he's probably a guy that you could sign for, I, I would think, 10, 11 million, uh, which Detroit has about 13 and a half, and they have more roster spots to fill in that. That's why I say he's kind of outside of the Detroit's price zone. But Tom Gorse said he's willing to go into the, ca- into the luxury tax, and he should go into the luxury tax if it means coming away with a backup point guard, you know, a backup center, uh, and, and Rudy Gay, because Gay would improve a lot to this team. Aaron, you've you've sold me on Rudy Gay because, like we stated, or like I stated earlier, he's always kind of been that faux all star in this league. Someone in the league did kind of cast aside. He could kind of get buckets, but it, it just wasn't seen as uh, I don't know. There was just something off about him. But you're right; he's transformed his game, completely changed the way he's played, and it's for the much better. And honestly, that wasn't somebody I was really thinking about. But I think you're exactly right. I think Rudy Gay, he's going to be a little bit out of the price range. But Tom Gorris said, I feel like Tom Gorris says at least once a week, I will go into the luxury tax if we have to. I do not care. And I think this is a guy, but uh, may, sh- as long as other moves are right with the backups, you know, the center and the point guard, it's a move you have to make. I, I agree. I, I would really be a big fan of Rudy Gay coming in this season, this offseason. You know, another guy that we, we've talked about it before that I think would be a nice fit coming back to Detroit would be Marcus Morris, if you're able to lure him back from Boston. Um, would be very reasonable, probably in the $5, 6000000 million range. Doesn't kill your cap, gives you some opportunities. Marcus Morris for five, six, seven. 
You think he's going yeah. to make that much? I, that's that's kind of what projections are showing here as well. Really? Yeah, I think he's going to be more towards nine, ten, eleven million, just like Rudy Gay. I don't know about that. That's that's steep. That's a steep price. Um, you know, another guy that I think could end up being in like the eight, nine million dollar range that would be worth a look is Jeremy Lamb. I think he's another wing that could give you some scoring off the bench, uh, or if you wanted to, could maybe if Luke doesn't take that starting role. You put Jeremy Lamb in the starting spot, Luke coming off the bench. He's small, so he's not big enough that you could flex him to the three and run Lamb and Luke on the floor at the same time. But I think Jeremy Lamb gives you some some opportunities similar to what Wayne Ellington could do. He's not as high of a three-point percentage shooter, but he could do a little bit more with the basketball. And he's still a 36-37% three-point shooter, which is... Uh, which isn't too shabby either. So, um, you know, Marcus Morris, I think, is very reasonable and attainable. I like your point about Rudy Gay because he's kind of resurged in San Antonio. I just wonder if that's the San Antonio effect or if it's the, you know, Rudy Gay's come back to life effect. Fair point. I got a question for you. Um, it's it's not a free agent. It's a trade, but something that's been going around uh, Twitter quite a bit, and I want to get your thoughts on it. What what emotions stir up in your in your mind when the name Drew Holiday comes up? Drew Holiday, Aaron just got hard. That's what just happened. No, I mean I I, I think he is a very good player. I think he's getting paid a lot of money, and I'm not sure if Detroit has the assets to make it work. I'd very much be in favor of it because he's a two way monster that this season like was just. Was the guy for the Pelicans because Anthony Davis had his issues. Was the guy this year. Uh, I think he would fit well with Blake. Just that warrior mentality that that we're going 110 percent every game brings a lot to the defensive end. As a, as he could be Detroit's stopper, um, which would make I don't know if Bruce Brown would be a, a wanted asset in the deal. It would make giving up a guy like Bruce Brown a little easier because Holiday could be that defensive guy for the Pistons at the guard spot. Um, but can shoot the ball, can score, can defend, a good passer, can play the point guard spot or the shooting guard spot. I like Drew Holiday. I'm not sure what his price point is. Probably a little too high for the Pistons. Probably out of their cap situation as well. So I don't. I would never consider that likely. But I wouldn't be opposed to it. That's kind of what I was thinking too. I just wanted to get your thoughts. I didn't think it was really feasible, but I wanted to hear what you had to say about that. See if maybe you could uh, make the case for it, but. Like you said, I don't know if it's really in the Pistons' price point. Yeah. Well, fans at home, why don't you start thinking? What's a free agent you think Detroit you know, should go after a reasonable fit? Think about it. Maybe shoot us a tweet at Palace of Pistons. Shout it out to Aaron at A. Johnson NBA, Ryan at Ryan Pay, myself at Media Brendan. Um, you know, while you're on the social media channel, you might as well follow us on Instagram at Palace Pistons or like that Facebook page, Palace Pistons Podcast. Um, don't forget, like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. We're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes, you know, variety of places you can get it. So, and keep spreading the word. It's a big off season. Detroit makes the playoffs. They're looking to take the next step forward. We're hoping to keep taking that step with them. Made a real nice push in the playoff season. We'd like to keep that going. It starts with you. So, spread the word. Keep liking the page. Getting subscribers to the pod, and we'll keep giving you this good content on a week by week basis. Until then, see you next time here on the Palace Pistons Podcast.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.